friends well we got the call from the international podcasting federation the ipf if you will that musings with megan and michael is getting signed on for a second season well we just felt blessed and honored I truly didn't think that we were doing anything that wasn't already being done. It seems like everyone and their grandmother, sometimes with their grandmothers, has a podcast these days. But it turns out that our perspective, our stories, our expertise fills a gap in the podcasting world. We're happy to be here. We're happy to be here with you. You're the reason that this is all possible. So in this episode, The Return of Musings with Megan and Michael, we get into, well, talking. Talking about talking. What's the point of it? How do we communicate? And why is it so hard? This might be the first time Megan and I ever disagree on a podcast in front of thousands of adoring listeners. But hey, sometimes that's just the way this goes. And you know what? I think it shows the humanity of this medium and how you can truly get a 360 view on the personality of the podcasters on the other side of the microphone, through those earbuds on the other side of the world. It was a fun conversation. We're happy to be back. And without me running my mouth anymore, why don't we get into this episode? So grab a paddle. Hop in your rowboat and get out to the middle of that lake called life and join us in dropping a line down to pull out some tidbits on life. Some fresh fish, maybe a largemouth bass, surely a guppy or two. And hey, it happens, but an old boot, dirty magazine from the 90s, an old cell phone. I think in this episode, it can even be argued that we may have just had the Loch Ness Monster on the line, just for a second. But you can be the judge of that, friends. So, I now present to you Musings with Megan and Michael. Welcome to... Stop, I do the intros myself. <laughs> I want to do it sometime. No, you don't get to do the intro. You have Isn't... to do... It's a separate audio recording. Don't you want to talk about communication today? And you're already arguing with me from the very start. Tell me about your dreams. Oh, wait, which ones? About the about your crazy dream anxiety. Anxiety? Or like, okay, so when I was a kid, I think a lot of kids have this too, maybe even some adults, but there's this kind of phase in between being awake and being asleep where I guess your eyes must still be open because I would still know that I was in the room that I was in, but then I would have these kind of visuals where my hands would get really big or they would feel like they were growing super, super big, but then sometimes super small. It was this kind of fading in, fading out of big to small, big to small, and then I would see visuals of things objects or faces or something there in the room right so I, I knew I was in the room but then the face would be really big really small really big really small uh but usually just like growing so big and then it gets like big till your heart's pounding because it's so expansive you don't know what to do it just keeps growing 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 bigger 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 did you have that <laughs> yes do you have it now still um only if I think it's like an anxiety thing, actually, because sometimes if I have anxiety, then I feel like the world's closing in around me, and it's that feeling. Oh, so it's like everything around you is getting big, so that's choking you out, like yeah, closing you in. I remember I my bed was next to the to a dresser, like a tall dresser, so the wall side of the dresser was my face if I laid on my right side my face was like looking at the wall side of the dresser and when I was really young I put a bunch of stickers on the side of it because kids put stickers everywhere and um whenever I would get that as a kid 
those stickers would get huge. Whoa. So it would be like freaky, I think there were fish or something like that, like freaky giant fish where they're just kind of like getting bulbous and stuff. And I remember asking my mom about it when I was a kid. I think my mom or my dad. And they said, oh, that's just growing pains. <laughs> growing pains doesn't mean the rest of the world grows. They're like, they're like, no. <laughs> they're like, they're like, um, you know, like how your body grows. Well, different parts of your brain are growing at weird rates. Whoa, that's super interesting. I don't think that's accurate. I think it's maybe a little bit accurate. Well, your brain's not still growing if that's still happening to you. Yeah, your brain sometimes. is done. No, but then again, like we do some stuff to manipulate our brains, don't we? Like we are actually changing our brains all the time. I mean, whether it's through meditation or through certain funguses that we consume <laughs> um like cheese yeah exactly like cheese um but that's really interesting because you obviously you know the whole story but like when i was a teenager and i started having basically that state but it would be in the middle of the day walking around where i would suddenly be dreaming essentially this was in high school right like walking down the halls of high school and it would be that same thing where I knew what room I was in it wasn't like I couldn't see the walls it wasn't like I was falling down or bumping into walls or something like that but at the same time like a dream was playing out very very similar to those kinds of dreams we're talking about but actually like full scenes would be playing sometimes and then it got to be so bad and so distracting that I finally had to tell my parents and they had me to all these doctors and everything and they were studying my brain and they kept saying basically growing pains I mean they were saying it was like puberty right but I was past puberty at that point and I mean I was a teenager but they I would get so mad when they would say that I was like this is not normal I was like all my friends have gone through puberty none of my friends have experienced this this is not just stress this is not just growing pains whatever this is like life-alteringly uncool what's happening it was like sleep paralysis in the day yeah but i wasn't paralyzed i was walking around you know but i was just hallucinating essentially mm. and weirdly around the same time because i love animals or whatever i decided to become vegetarian and that cleared up i had bowel issues like i basically had ibs at that time <laughs> too much information for this podcast Bring it on. <laughs> going vegetarian cleared up my bowel issues and that stopped happening which is totally weird because everything that we've learned about you know here with all the healers and the shamans and stuff like that in bali would say that if you're having hallucinations if you're having some spiritual kundalini experience that you can't control you should eat meat because that grounds you and takes away those kinds of uncontrollable visions and things so i don't know why that worked except for a long story short well it's pretty obvious to me why that actually everyone should eat meat <laughs> so that they can experience heavenly states of being everyone's default is to eat meat and it's not maybe it is our default though that's the thing like why do these kinds of dreams happen to us as kids maybe our default is this spiritually expanded psychedelic kind of mind you know like do kids just have much easier access to those states and in time in our brain we just create this sort of structure for our world and then it's harder to access those well states? that's the idea behind the the four agreements Oh, yeah? The, like, the whole intro to that book is about how you're born essentially as a blank slate, and then you're socially conditioned into this is how people operate, this is how we think, this is how we walk, this is how we move, this is how we communicate, and you, like, block everything else out. Because if it were up to me, I would still always walk upstairs on hands and feet where I like lean forward get my hands on the higher steps and then walk all the way up but that's like not social yeah like a dog <laughs> that's not socially acceptable 
<laughs> How often are you even walking upstairs anymore? Well, when we're at your parents' house over the holiday, I Yeah, the desire. Uh-huh. <laughs> my brother, Danny, my older brother, one time, the steps go up, and I don't know if a lot of houses kind of have this, but the ceiling, like, comes down. So if you're looking at from the top of the steps to the bottom of the steps, the ceiling drops down yeah. and is like a sharp corner, right? I don't know why stairways are like that a lot of the time, but it is. So there's a low ceiling as you're going down the stairs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Danny was always trying to see from which highest step he could jump down the stairs and still land. So he tried to jump from really high up and like clotheslined himself with the corner of that ceiling. Landed flat on his back at the bottom of the steps. Jeez. That's like 13 <laughs> I steps. I still remember. Yeah, it was really high. <laughs> really, really high. Oh my god. But yeah, I do wonder if like that's our more natural state. That makes a lot of sense what you say. It's like the rules of society or whatever, the rules of being human just kind of start layering onto us. And Dude, well, like, okay, so I was reading about bees the other day, <laughs> as one does, and Bees see in the UV spectrum, which maybe that doesn't mean anything to many of you, but that's crazy. Don't we see in the UV spectrum? No. no. What do we see in? Infrared. We see in the visible light spectrum. Oh, yeah, okay. You see infrared? No, who sees infrared? That's like the... The predator. <laughs> okay, never mind. Um, so UV would mean they see like way more colors than we do? well who knows what it looks like we just know that they see in that spectrum there's like it's like one thing to see in a spectrum and it's another thing for how your brain interprets what you're seeing okay so like i mean dog my favorite was in the rugrats uh whenever they would show perspective from spike from the family dog Hmm. he he would they would show his perspective and he'd be looking around and everything was grayed out because dogs are colorblind and all the people's like voices just sounded like mumbled garbled jumbled nonsense it's like yeah that's probably what dogs hear so like if they hear the same mumble they're like yeah awesome i'm gonna wag my tail that's so sad so anyway but that's really cute too the point being that who knows like what we're supposed to communicate or like how we're supposed to like view the world and then let alone how that like our brains communicate that to the rest of our uh existence um i guess like it's not good if you're gonna drive a car because they expect you're expected to see this right we have to somehow figure out how to live in both worlds essentially but so the end of that story of what I was experiencing in high school is that I've been vegetarian since then, but about, what was it, like maybe 10 years later, I started thinking like, oh, I've been vegetarian for like 10 years. I should really look into nutrition for vegetarians because I'd never even thought to consider You're already it. stunted. Yeah. It's too late. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> it's like, what might I be missing out on by not eating meat? Like, what vitamins should I probably be taking? And I looked it up, and there was something... What is it called, Michael? DHC or BHC? DHA. DHA, that's it. I was reading that, like, DHA is some... I've really got to look more into this. Maybe if any of our listeners know about it, you can tell me about it. Any of our millions of listeners. (laughs) Hey, Rory. Um, (laughs) DHA that they said is uh, supposed to be really good for your brain health and prevent things like Alzheimer's and dementia in the future. And DHA is one of those things that you really only get from meat. It's pretty hard to get anywhere else. So I was like, oh boy, I already have brain issues or I used to as a teenager. I should probably look into this. And so I bought these DHA supplements. We were at the beach. Do you remember? We were in Dewey Beach with your sister and brother-in-law. And I started taking these DHA supplements and we're like walking down the beach and I was now in my 20s, you know, and it happened again as an adult. And I was so shocked because I I, you kind of just assume like, oh, the doctors are probably right. I probably was just being an annoying teenager going through puberty and, you know, it probably wasn't such a big deal. But it was full on hallucinations, like could hardly carry on a conversation at all, like this whole full dreamlike state playing out around me and it was from taking a dha vitamin so i almost wonder if like 
just our brain chemical makeup I mean, don't people say that our bodies naturally produce DMT, too? People say that, but it's yet to be proven by science. Oh, really? It's, to my knowledge, yes. But because Joe Rogan said it one time on his podcast, <laughs> it's it's like a fact for most people. It's like, just because you believe something doesn't mean it's a fact. Now, I am open to the information that that is a possibility. Yeah. But as far as I know, nobody's been able to actually prove that. But, I mean, maybe it doesn't need to be DMT specifically. I think it's pretty obvious that our brains produce their own psychedelic states. I mean, every night when we're sleeping or, you know, constantly in our lives, right? Yeah. During meditation, we experience it. Well, that's um, like when you die. They say that the reason that many people are so freaked out when they die, like as they're dying is because they're all drugged up and oh, it prevents wow. their brain from going through the, like basically the sh- proper shutdown sequence and if you die naturally there's like this period of peace and serenity that comes over you and like you're able to like i mean some people say like you're able to communicate with whoever you know potentially like your dead wife is going to come down and like help you get to heaven or stuff like that yeah didn't but we if talk you're all about near-death experiences the one time didn't we yeah probably yeah how you like meet whoever it is that you feel connected to jesus yeah. or yeah so if you're all popped up on on uh opioids that doesn't happen oh it blocks because the... it messes with your brain chemistry oh what a shame so so just die in pain, I guess. I'm a fan of natural death. <laughs> natural birth, natural death. Yeah. <laughs> natural life. Wow. So anyway, now, but I remember when that happened to you, and I was I was driving, or I'm pretty sure I was driving, and you're like, oh, it's happening right now, and I was like, okay. You were like, you look fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, that was when, like, in high school, and I finally told someone about it was because it was affecting, like, people were noticing, you know, like, having conversations. I wasn't able to remember people's names or talk, or I would just be like, yeah, <laughs> just trying to kind of respond. Are you able to remember people's names now? From back then? No, like, when you meet somebody <laughs> in a conversation. It wasn't like that. It was people I knew very well. It wasn't, like, new people whose names I couldn't remember. It was, like, people I've known my whole life whose names I couldn't remember when it was happening. Yeah, but... But you know what's crazy is, like, I think when you look at certain mental disorders now, too, like, say, schizophrenia or even, like, disassociative identity disorder and things like that, I wonder if those are actually misunderstood spiritual experiences a lot of the time or if they if they were more controlled or something if we would call them shamans or visionaries or psychics or something if it wasn't so debilitating you know what I mean if there was some way you mean to... like a Jedi yeah Shaman, Jedi, same thing. No, well, like, okay, so in Star Wars... <laughs> I don't know anything about Star Wars. In Star Wars, if you if you have the ability to manipulate the Force, right? Mm. If you're, like, if you have that ability, you have to get training so that you can become better at it so that you're able to use it properly versus if you don't get the training, you'll just lose the ability. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, gotcha. Because for me too, we started this conversation about dreams and a lot of psychic kind of teachers and things who are teaching you how to tap into spiritual realms and you basically have psychedelic experiences when you're not on psychedelics, you know, to communicate with spirit guides or whatever you want to do, right? Like all these spiritual practices. They'll often say, start by writing down your dreams every morning, because that's the, that's the time that all of us, except for your grandmother, Michael's grandmother one time said she's never had a dream. <laughs> she still says that. She still, like, doubles down on it. She's like, I have never but had a dream. But I, t- for me- I tell people to do that now. Yeah. Just because <clears throat> I noticed when I was doing it often that your dreams almost become prescriptive. It's like it's almost like they know what's gonna happen or like 
they help you like clear out whatever went wrong the previous day and you're able to like it's like you almost get like multiple chances at life if you pay attention to your dreams so you're able to learn more it's like oh all of a sudden you get two chances at this type of interaction and if you get it wrong the first time you can get it right the second time and then maybe you won't see it the third time and you can move on to the next level do you find that exhausting no like at night when you're supposed to be resting instead you're just living life again well your body is resting yeah that's true i don't think it's exhausting at all so yeah that's really interesting so that's how a lot of people say to start your spiritual connection or to connect deeper to your intuition and all these things is write down your dreams and i've done it for a while who says that that's that book that you read about talking to animals (laughs) it wasn't about talking to animals which one are you talking about rudolph yeah i think his name was yeah Oh, that's so, it's just so interesting how these things get recommended to me, too. That was, like, some student who was talking to John Lennon, which I believe he was, by the way. Okay. He was using this kind of method. What was the guy's name? Rudolf Steiner, I think it was. I think that's a kind of school. Oh, Lord. Yeah, you might be right. Anyway, a lot of people, it's not just that, wasn't the only recommendation. Like, any, I mean, a lot of new age people will say it as well, but there are also these older spiritual practices that work like that but anyway every time I've been writing down my dreams in the morning I feel like I start to revert kind of back to that state of being unable to tell what's a dream and what's reality where I'll be like oh do you remember that happening and I'll be so convinced that it was real and then I think about it and I'm like no that was just in a dream that didn't actually happen so like the more that I write down my dreams and feel connected with them I feel like the less in touch I am with reality, which I think is a state that a lot of people are trying to get to, and that's what they call their intuitive state or their their spiritual side. But for me, the line becomes too blurred that I feel like, God, I would start like potentially risking psychosis or schizophrenia or something like that, so I don't mess with it too much because I don't feel like I can really separate the two very well. I probably just need a good teacher. You have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think that you, that well, I think that everybody needs um, like somebody that they look up to, that they can that they can um, basically ask questions and get answers from. It doesn't have to be on everything. That's the thing about like you know you don't ask your math teacher how to like change the oil in your car. They might know, but, like, that's Mm -hmm. not why they're in your life. They're in your life to teach you math. Yeah. So, like, to have somebody that necessarily knows those things that you want to learn and then, okay, well, if they have a tragic dating life, that it is what it is. Or, you know, if they can barely uh, support themselves at home, like, they don't know how to cook or something like that, it's like, all right, well, that's just the way that it is. Yeah. And I think there's also something to be said for just because someone is good at something doesn't mean that they're a good teacher of that thing. Like, that's why, you know, Olympic athletes and things don't always go on to become coaches or like these NBA stars don't go on to coach teams very often, right? It's like just because you're good at something. Or like, look at the guys who are like the, you know, Olympic gymnastic coaches and stuff. They don't look like olympic athletes themselves you know what i mean they're actually two different skills being incredibly good at something and being incredibly good at teaching something so sometimes people who have these really powerful sort of skills would have no idea how to teach it to someone so we talked about that before right that there's some like middle ground with teachers of not being so out of touch with a beginner that you can't teach it to them i give the the example in yoga a lot of like Sometimes you see these Instagram yogis floating up into these handstands and you look at them and you just think, wow, what an amazing, powerful yogi. But like these people have no idea how to teach a beginner how to do a handstand. I've gone to lots of like arm balancing workshops and they're just like, yeah, like you put your hands down and then you stand on them. (laughs) Like they don't know how to teach someone who doesn't have, yeah, because they've probably been gymnasts when they were young and they've they've never not been able to do a handstand. Mm -hmm. So when I think of some of the like really profoundly powerful spiritual people that we know here in Bali, 
like even Mama Ati, right? Like this priestess who I really love and study with and just adore. I host my retreats with her. She's just like, oh, I just, she doesn't like to see spirits in real life. So she's just like, oh, so I just tell them only come to me in my dreams. I don't want to see you. Just come to me in my dreams. Just like that. She's like, yeah, just tell them just only come to you in your dreams. I'm like, oh, it's that easy, is it? <laughs> just ask them, hey. Can you just talk to me in my dreams? Like, I'm asking every day. Are you kidding me? They don't come to me in my dreams. <laughs> but maybe I need to write down my dreams more again. Who knows? Yeah, that's probably a good start. Yeah. I'd like to take a moment here to just thank today's sponsor, Yogatrotter.com. Yogatrotter.com is the premier online yoga resource. Whether you want to go deeper into how the yoga poses got their names, yin yoga, how to teach pranayama or breathing, or how to build a habit with yoga, yogacharter.com is your go-to resource. You know, when the world came to a crashing halt last March, Megan, the lead teacher over at yogacharter.com, said, no, the world needs what I have to share. And she moved all of her knowledge and expertise online so that you could have it anywhere on planet Earth. Yogacharter.com is the place that I go to whenever I'm curious about how a goofy yoga pose got a name. I say, this doesn't look anything like a cow. What's going on here? Hop into my Gods of Yoga online teaching portal, and I find out exactly how and why that happened. So if you're curious about any of these things or you just want to support the podcast, then support our sponsors. Go to yogacharter.com slash learn hyphen online and check out all the great offerings over there and get your yoga on go ahead trot your little fingertips over there right now we won't mind the podcast will be there when you get back now back to our show so yeah so kind of i mean even with meditation right it's like look at this whisker i just found one of our cats lost a big old thick whisker. That's sad. Impermanence. <laughs> oh, things. You could write with this. Yeah, it's like so thick. It's like a quill. That's crazy. Yeah. So I think with all things, you know, with meditation teachers too, it's like sometimes people get so deep into their own practice that they forget how to relate to those who are just starting out. So maybe it's actually that we need various levels of mentors too, you know? Yeah, but it's also just like knowing how to communicate and like having some level of self-awareness. Like I think that there's there's an important... Uh, it's an important skill in and of itself just to be able to talk to another human being and certainly like if you get too far in let's say one practice direction or something like that where you assume you know everything or you're operating on a different level then you forget how to actually just like talk to another human being that's true i've definitely met people like that here as well so how do you talk to another human being well, actually, just by listening to them is a good start. Like, how many times have you been in a conversation with somebody that we? I know that I know that this happens to to both of us because we we'll talk about it afterwards and be like, yeah, that person was nice, but like they were just waiting to tell their story the whole mm, time. Yep. They were just waiting for uh, you know their chance to talk. Like, you ever do that in a conversation? And I catch myself these days um, increasingly that somebody starts talking and I'm like oh I have a good point on that and then I'll try to hold on to that point mm. and then they're talking for another minute and it's like I didn't hear anything else after that that first initial point that they that I wanted to talk on and it's like it could have been completely irrelevant by the time they were done talking yeah so you know that the wheels were just turning the whole time about the next thing to say for me yeah yeah yeah, because I think, you know, how often, that's why I really like the, the the men's group that I go to on Monday nights is like, it's it was the first time when I went to it, the first time, it was the first time that um, I was ever in a situation where it was like, 
we were actively discouraged from giving advice. Mm, yeah. Because that's all you do as a man, like especially as a man, it's like, oh, just do this. Yeah. Oh, that's your problem? Here, let me just stop you right there and tell you what to do. Yeah. Let me stop you right there. Like that's a catchphrase of, of people that I know. Yeah. And it's like that doesn't it doesn't like finish the connection that you have the possibility of making because sometimes people don't even want to don't even want advice right right they just want to be heard and that's why you would go to a group like that right to be heard not to be told what to do or to get everybody's opinions on what you should do but just to get things off your chest do you think yeah sure but i don't think it should be limited to that space Mm. because like how many people do you like everybody knows the one-upper like the person who's just like oh you think that's tough well i grew up in a garbage can (laughs) it's like i'm literally oscar the grouch yeah it's like the the it's like just listen you're 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 missing out on something and it feels like it's like a surface level connection those are people that i often don't like feel uh, a strong affinity for where i'll be like you yeah he was nice but like you can't get past a certain level because all they're doing is waiting for their chance to do this the next thing yeah i think i in a way i disagree though i mean definitely with the one upper but Think about the beginning of this conversation. Sometimes forming human connection is also understanding shared experiences. So maybe it's not a one-upper, but being like, oh my God, that happened to me too. Who was it? I think it was Chuck Palahniuk who said, the best stories aren't the new stories. Something along these lines. This is a bad paraphrase. But it's not to tell a totally new and novel story, but to tell a story that makes everyone else excited to tell their version of that story too. Oh my God, I had dreams like that too as a kid. That's crazy. And then you feel so connected to that person. You're like, whoa, shared human experience. This is amazing. What? Well, I don't think so. Like imagine if you were back when you were 10 or something and that was going on and you tell your cousin or your aunt or something and they're like oh me too and you're like okay but that doesn't help me right now that would help me way more than your parents saying oh growing pains i think i think that actually Mm, sharing disagree really okay continue why i disagree because half the time it's like okay well i'm telling you this thing about me so that either you can help me with this thing about me or or so that you could I could actually be heard about this thing and if the whole time you're just waiting to be like cool now let me tell you my experience with it it's like okay but but there's such it it depends on who you're talking to and what you're doing like if you're with some friend who is um trying to who like you've just known forever and you guys are just like bouncing stuff off of each other and like going back and forth that's one thing but if it's somebody who's like maybe he's never shared that before or it's somebody that you're just meeting for the first time they're gonna be like after that conversation be like that person just wants to talk about them it doesn't matter where that link is but you're just wanting to talk about you in that scenario. Yeah, well, sometimes that's okay. It depends on it depends on what, how the conversation is or what the dynamic of the conversation is. But like to have some, it's it can come off like a dismissal. You really need to be able to like read the person that you're talking to to determine if that's going to be an appropriate response for them or if you should ask them more questions about it. Are they really worried about it? Are you gonna like? dismiss it by saying oh everybody experiences that get over it okay i think if it's something they're upset about Mm -hmm. then you're right but if it's something that's like a i mean chuck palinuk in that example was talking about he's talking about writing interesting stories yeah but he was talking more about like interesting stories not about like this thing is weighing super heavy on my heart and i'm finally going to share it with you yeah kind of thing um but like I wonder, you know, say it is something really heavy on your heart, like you're grieving. Maybe your parent just died, right? Your father just died and you're grieving. Yeah. And, and then if somebody else someone, is like, oh, well, my dad died, I was upset for three weeks. And then it's like. Oh. Yeah, but wouldn't it? 
I don't know, anytime I've gone through something hard, it's made me feel better to know that other humans have experienced it. And I mean, as long as someone's not responding to you like, oh, my dad died, it was fine, I got over it. That's how it usually happens. No, it doesn't. If someone's like, oh my God, I hear you, I feel you, it's the hardest thing in the world. I know when I went through that, I felt like this, I hope, you know... I just I feel like that I is really such disagree. a connection really I re- if someone tells me that they feel me they hear me and they know where I've been I'll, I'm, in my head I'm like then actually hear me and and feel what I'm saying like don't tell me that you do but actually like have the conversation with me in a way that shows me that you do and then if it's appropriate you can insert your own stories like that's a good example for instance because i've seen that so many times where it's just like people are like oh my my sympathies or like oh, i'm so sorry that that person died it's like that feels way more like a blow off than saying yeah. oh i hear you yeah i think but i think that that's usually when people say i hear you like it's very seldom that somebody's like oh, i hear you and that's the end of it it's like it's usually i hear you now where's the buffet table you are being very cynical about the way that so. people communicate with each other. I think I think that you are in a bubble here with the people that you communicate. <laughs> because Where people genuinely care about each other. Or they've at least learned the script to act like they genuinely care about people. Whoa, listen to how brutally cynical you're being about <laughs> humans right now. This is unlike you. Well, I just I, I'm just trying to I think that everyone could definitely do a better job. And, and that's so what you're saying a lot of don'ts right now don't do this don't act like that I don't like when people do that I don't like what how would you want someone to communicate their sympathy how would you want someone to communicate with you in that moment by asking questions by wanting to know more by not just like saying that you hear someone or you feel someone it, when a family member died or something like that is a way to end a conversation unless you follow it up with something else okay so what kind of questions how can I help I think is a good question mm. what can I do or can I bring you dinner the, tonight the best I was can having I... this conversation with someone about like a dying family member and the thing that I think is the nicest um, is to ask them about the person that died especially when it comes to grieving like that this is a special scenario here where it's like okay they just lost somebody who they're never going to talk to ever again who they're never going to have an experience with ever again yeah for you to ask how you can insert yourself into the situation is like it's nice but it doesn't do anything for the loss yeah but if you're like oh what were they like or what was your favorite thing about them or something like that it gives the person a chance to like go through the process of remembering them that's in a conversation experiencing them in i think set and setting is very important there though because uh it's not always appropriate to bring up something that you know is going to make someone sad and i say that from experience like when Mm. bopad died i was just my grandfather when my grandfather died i was just pulling myself together to teach a class Mm-hmm. in front of 30 students a lecture and uh, one of my friends came up and in that moment I was you know just pulling myself together just about to step out five minutes from class time and she came up oh I'm so sorry to hear about your grandfather and boom I start crying and now my eyes are red and puffy when I have to go teach the class or a co-worker of mine back when I used to work in <laughs> the corporate world horrible story his wife had died and he was kind of an introverted guy and he literally had hr send out a memo to the entire company saying he didn't want any of us to say that we were sorry for his loss or to mention his dead wife or anything at all because he just knew it would wreck him during the day he just wanted everyone to act like nothing had happened yeah because he was in the workplace you don't want to start crying like you're just trying to hold yourself together too no fully i fully uh agree with that but it's also kind of like probably what he was encountered with or expecting to be encountered with as well was how are you doing oh how are you do- how are you holding up but if and someone like, that's- walks up and is like tell me about your wife yeah well of work, course i don't think you, you don't should do that. i don't either. think you should do that either but like also 
there's there's a difference if someone comes up and asks you that question for instance let's say in it's an appropriate setting like that's they probably genuinely want to know like people aren't just going around asking about dead family members but if someone if you're walking down the the hallway at work and somebody's like oh how are you holding up and they don't even break stride and they just keep walking it's like thanks for reminding me about my dead wife you jerk now you just walked into the bathroom <laughs> like oh you, you know goodness. like i think yeah. of course there's a huge difference but that's what i that's what i mean when i think that everyone can get a little bit better at how they choose to communicate with each other because I guess like I, I and you know I have a problem with people asking me questions that they don't actually want the answer to mm -hmm. like just actually just like feel the room out and like make eye contact with the person it's of course it's extremely hard nowadays because everybody's like on their phone or having six other conversations or you know yeah. doing all this other stuff at the same time so to actually be able to sit down and talk with somebody and be fully present with them and like make eye contact hear what they're saying digest it for a second and then respond is rarely rarely happens and that's like i think that that's when you can feel the most human and the most like connected to another person is when you do that exact thing versus i guess what my my cynicism about communication is general in general is that most people's conversations can be boiled down to like platitudes and empty questions and like standard like I don't even think small talk's a bad thing if you genuinely care about the small talk but it's like the the flippant nature that people approach conversations are you saying from your perspective that your favorite kind of conversations, the best conversations for you are when someone else is just really listening to you? Yeah. That's pretty selfish, Michael. Because well, what about that person? Well, Do they get to be listened to as well in that well, conversation? Okay. Here we go. Classic example of jumping to conclusions. <laughs> um, do they get to express themselves yeah, of course. at all? Well, or is this all about them? What I see, what I experience more in my life is the exact opposite. Mm. Or I, you're probably one of the only people that I ever really talk to. Aww. I'm not a good listener. Yeah, you're terrible. <laughs> but you're one of the only people that I ever really talk to. Usually when other people, when I have conversations with other people, it's questions about them, what's going on in mm. their life. And I genuinely care. Yeah, you're I, an excellent listener I in think, that way. I think I do like genuinely care. I'm like, all right, let me learn something about you. Like, I try to approach every conversation with somebody as there's going to be something in this conversation that I don't already know. And let's see what that is. Wow. But if I spend the whole time just waiting for my chance to talk or trying to give somebody advice that hasn't asked for it, which again is like a huge thing like I think growing up as a kid that's that's a major issue where it's like every adult in your life is just telling you what to do and it's like bro I didn't ask you to tell me what to do yeah. I'll figure it out myself because that's how I talk to teachers and aunts and uncles bro <laughs> bro yeah <laughs> um I lost my train of thought. Well, I think what I'm hearing you say, this is actually really interesting. The What we're talking about here is not generalizations that apply to everyone. It's actually individual personality things. Like, you are such an incredible listener that in conversation with others, you feel like you're always doing that. You're listening. You're asking questions that help them express themselves more clearly. You're very giving in a conversation. So what you're seeking in a high quality conversation is someone who does that for you. Someone who can just listen and ask helpful questions and really hear you. Mm -hmm. For me, because I'm a big talker, storyteller, I often feel like I'm carrying the conversation and it's like a big, it's a pressure on me to be the interesting one to carry on the conversations. I feel like I'm always having to talk and no one else is like holding their weight in conversation sometimes. Yeah. What I'm seeking, what I find to be valuable conversations is when someone else brings that fire and it's like we're riffing off of each other and we have like, they're telling their version of the story. I'm telling mine, oh my God, so much connection. That's so cool. Wow, we have so much in common. That's what's a fulfilling conversation for me. Like I can't think of anything worse 
then if I express something to someone, if I told someone a story like, like the story I told here about that thing that I went through in high school, right? And they were just like, oh, wow, what did that feel like? Wow, that's so interesting. Wow, oh my gosh. And then I find out later that they had a similar experience, but they didn't tell me about it. I would feel so betrayed. I would be like, you let me sit there and tell you this thing (laughs) that you know about and you didn't tell me your experience with that thing. How rude, you know, like you hid that from me. I would feel so betrayed. I would feel like I couldn't trust that person, you know. I need people to tell me when they have something that's a connection with me, you know. That's hard for me. Really? Well, just in certain contexts, it certainly is because, you know, like I I was as secretive of a person as one could be when I was in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Like I didn't tell anybody dick. Like I would I would be like, oh yeah, we went away this weekend. I wouldn't even say that. Oh, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, you know, like that would be my response <laughs> to coworkers. That's true. And they'd be like, oh, did you go somewhere? I'd be like, that's none of your business. <laughs> 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 so this has been like a a bit of a journey for me where it's been like um becoming okay with sharing things about yourself but mm. at the same time like I, I'm always conscious of trying to feel out what that person is exactly looking for in the conversation anyway like if what I'm going to say is going to enha- make them feel better or enhance the conversation then usually I'll bring it up but if it's like if I meet another veteran for ex- for instance I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to cut them off mid-sentence and be like, oh, me too. I'll wait in the conversation until it's like, oh, yeah, when I was stationed in so-and-so, I remember this. And they'll be like, oh, you were in the military too? And I'll be like, yeah, and then tell them the story and then, like, it makes the conversation better. Yeah. But if somebody, if I'm, if I'm telling, like, this happens all the time as a veteran, even here, all the time as a veteran. Oh, yeah, well, I used to be in the Marine Corps. They'd be like, oh, how'd you get here? Like, tell them the story. I'd be like, oh, I used to be in the Marine Corps. And they're like, oh, my cousin was in the military. Oh, I thought about joining the military. Yeah. Like, the gap between thinking about joining something and actually being in yeah. it is massive. And But all they're trying to do, for instance, if it's somebody's family member, all they're trying to do is Make a be like, oh, I, I understand what that means. Mm. Which is usually okay, but... But sometimes it's one of those things where, especially with other men, it's like that where they're like, oh, I thought about it or, oh, yeah, my cousin did and he's not that tough or like something like that. And it's like, okay, well, this isn't like everything's not a competition. If you want me to tell you where I'm from or what I used to do, then I'll tell you. But like you don't have to then go into telling me why it wasn't that special or you know other people that have done it or like other yeah, stuff like that exactly. i think men communicate like that maybe more than women do where it's kind of like it's always a bit of a competition it's like oh okay whatever oh you weren't a navy seal though mm. and it's like <laughs> yeah i know what you mean yeah I wonder if that's the difference then between like your men's circles and women's circles and things. If that's why in the men's group they specifically have to state those rules like don't give advice. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Because the way that we even say it at the beginning is, look, especially with the group of people that I'm with, it's like a lot of, a lot of us are coaches. A lot of us spend our day jobs telling other people what to do and how to fix their problems. Oh, yeah. This is not that. Yeah, right. This is not your opportunity to coach each other. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Because I feel like in the women's group, you know, through Yoga Trotter, Ashley hosts this amazing women's group. And I totally gave her the reins to it. Like, I knew she was the perfect person to do it and that I am not because she's so good at that at not giving advice where for me I want to think like ooh, let's talk through all the solutions to this thing where she's really good at just letting people be heard mm-hmm. so I think even in that setting but I notice what we tend to do in the group too is whatever someone says even if it really doesn't relate very much to the other person's life they'll be like yes I I understand you know and it's always this kind of affirmation of what the person is feeling is valid Mm. and to me that feels really great just to know that other people feel similar things you know just to kind of have this connection of human experience and I think that is what you get out of the men's group as well 
even if it's not verbalized in such a way it's still just so great to get to hear other people's stories you know to get other people's perspectives yeah and i guess like in a one-on-one conversation with somebody you're not gonna have a million interesting conversations a day Mm. but in a one-on-one conversation with somebody to at least be open to that possibility instead of shutting stuff down with like platitudes or not even being engaged in the first place Mm. if someone talks to me I'll put down whatever I'm doing and give them like some FaceTime yeah literally Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know I think that I know that a lot of people don't do that like for instance on zoom like if I'm hosting a zoom whatever group call or something like that I can hear you typing yeah like I know I know you're not paying attention (laughs) so why are you even here Mm, I know I know and like like scientifically it's been proven he's yawning there should be a word like when you sneeze you say god bless you it should be like an on word too like good sleepy I would just have teachers say oh are you tired (laughs) yeah um that the like we know that the human brain is not capable of doing more than one thing at a time just look it up it's this is true you 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 very quickly switch from task to task but you're not able to um fully envelop yourself in whatever you're doing like in the meditation practice that that i do um the one of the teachers that that it that has that used to teach it uh, in like the 60s and 70s he would say um Chogim Trumper Rinpoche he would say um when we meditate we have a flat bottom right you're sitting on the ground you have a you're sitting in a chair on the ground so our minds develop a flat bottom as well so like when you first sit down your mind is all over the place and eventually because your body is stationary and stagnant and 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 focused on one particular thing whatever the goal of the meditation is then also your mind will eventually and it will settle down as well oh wow but that takes time and practice and iteration so if you're always doing texting talking tvs going at the same time you know three four five different inputs all at the same time you can't have that experience of being fully like engrossed in one thing which completely changes just how you relate and how you communicate with somebody else wow it's kind of like everybody wears their airpods around everywhere now that's a sign to me if you have a mask on and airpods i'm not even going to talk to you well, it's yeah, a sign to me that you don't want that you don't want somebody to talk to you. A lot of times, that's exactly yeah. what they're trying to signal. Yeah, exactly. But that's interesting because it's almost like a constant sort of multitasking. Do you think that's also why it's important to have your sit down meditation practice? Because I hear so many people say like, and I know you can practice mindfulness when you're doing anything else, but I hear so many people say like, surfing's my meditation or yeah. music's my meditation, but like. It's different from actually sitting down. Yeah, I'm of the opinion that that can be valid, but without a proper sitting, like formal practice, Mm. the validity of whatever else is your meditation is going to slowly fall off. Yeah, right. right? So like maybe like surfing's your meditation or cooking's your meditation. It's like, that's great, but you have to be fully engrossed in what it means to be mindful just in general. And then you can apply that mindfulness, for instance, to whatever else you're doing. Right. But if you don't have like a reservoir, like you can think about it, like building up a reservoir of mindfulness to carry throughout the rest of the day. If you don't have, if you don't build that up every day, eventually it becomes depleted. Wow. And it's like, sure, you're being mindful, but... I love that visual. It goes away after a certain period of time. That's that's my opinion, you know. You can argue with that or not, but if you've never done a daily formal sitting practice for an extended period of time, then you really don't have any room to talk, in my opinion. Like, you need to try that try and that see least. if it changes the rest of your life before you can say it does or it doesn't. 
that's a good that's a very good point and so you can say you know oh my surfing is just the same or whatever mm -hmm. you know you have to know if it's the same because you have to actually try the other thing mm -hmm. yeah because it's not and I, I don't want to talk too much about meditation today but but like it's just not because the flow state like for instance that, oh, yeah. oh, that book stealing fire was, was about the flow state and they've since wrote more but they talk about big wave surfers and stuff in the book and it's like the flow state that you're in when you catch a wave is like you know how long is the average wave ride it's less than 10 seconds yeah you know it's like five seconds if you're lucky five seconds of flow state is not the same thing as sitting for 20 minutes and focusing on your breath yeah because right. you're not because the other thing is in the style of meditation that i that i'm a big fan of you're not trying to achieve a flow state in your meditation you're trying to achieve awareness of what is right awareness of the present moment which is not an altered state which literally like that you can measure flow state and see Whoa. the different brain waves right like there those are two different things i'm not saying one is better or worse than the other but if you can get both in your day that would certainly be good wait that's amazing what you just said so mindfulness meditation let's be clear that this is one specific kind that yeah. you're talking about mm -hmm. is not about altering your state in any way it's actually about being completely aware of the reality of the present moment as it is yeah yeah because there are lots of meditation practices that are about altered states certainly so when i was saying I, I, go ahead sorry go ahead <laughs> what's that about no Not just go ahead, ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah when I was saying at the start of this that like when I get into spiritual practices I sometimes have trouble differentiating between reality and dream world or whatever mindfulness meditation would probably be the cure for that because it's very much like be aware of what's really here and now whereas a lot of these other kinds of meditations that I've experimented with like yogic meditation, for example, the Hatha Yoga Pradipika was outlining techniques to get people to reach spiritual powers, superpowers, like being able to control the weather and stuff like mm -hmm. that, like mystical powers. And I think since I sometimes struggle to differentiate between reality and dream world or whatever, those wouldn't be healthy techniques for me because they further blur the line versus mindfulness is very grounding. It's very being aware of reality in the present yeah it's it's like modern uh, parlance is to use the term woke so i won't say that but like it's like the the literature says it's awakefulness is oh, cool. is the goal of a proper mindfulness practice it's not um it's not hiding it's not shutting off the senses and going to, into some internal world to like do healing or uh, experience some altered state it's actually to become fully awake in your body with all of your senses in the present moment in the world as it is right now mm -hmm. and sometimes that's blissful sometimes it's painful sometimes it's completely neutral and it's mm. like why am i even doing this mm. and all three of those experiences in a sitting practice are important because then you can take those out into your your life and if you're bored you know at work or something like that you can recognize like the like let's say mystical nature of just like actually just being bored or like <laughs> the gift of being bored as well yeah and i think that that can help in in the conversation with somebody else too because maybe somebody's talking about something that you don't care about at all but you're forced in the conversation with them if you have that if you've uh, cultivated that sense of awareness and mindfulness from your practice you can turn that otherwise boring conversation into something that's fruitful for both of you wow yeah i don't understand boredom you know because i think when you're actually really being mindful being present there's so much richness in every moment well, and... you said the other day that you've never been bored <laughs> yeah you're like what are you bored i was like i don't think i've ever been bored in my entire life we work until midnight every night if it wasn't for me <laughs> well, there's always stuff i want to do i have an endless list of things i want to do so i'm never bored yeah so i guess like my 
two cents for today is to just like listen to to the world around you to the people around you and like especially now when we're like we're all whether you recognize it or not like starved for communication if you actually get the opportunity to talk to somebody in your day take the opportunity don't don't text while you're doing it don't don't like you know do fantasy football draft or whatever like you know <laughs> just because the game's come up and you need to change your players like don't don't do any of that stuff like pay attention it might be five minutes of your day yeah i'm sure you're gonna spend 20 minutes on the toilet later that you can do that <laughs> do fantasy football. <laughs> <laughs> i guess that is the answer right it's like when you're really listening then you will know what's appropriate in the conversation in that moment whether it's to share your story whether it's to ask deeper questions but it starts with the actually listening the actually reading the environment in that moment to know what's appropriate from there mm-hmm. yeah beautiful i loved this conversation thank you michael my pleasure <laughs> okay see you guys next time later bye rory